I was watching some TV uh, a few years ago and it was a comedy show. I enjoy comedy. And in this comedy show, they were at church. And they're all sitting at church and the, the camera was sort of on the father of the family. And they're at church and the Bible was being read. And what was being read was one of the genealogies from Chronicles. And as it was being read, it's just looking at the father's face. And you could see that he was bored, he was weird, and, and, and this was generating, you know, comedy. And it, it was funny to ha see this guy at church listening to this genealogy. And, and maybe, maybe that's something that you were thinking as you were hearing the reading. Genealogies can be hard to read. There are difficult names. You have to concentrate just to even say the name, let alone what does it mean. Uh, you know it's God's word, so you want to read it. But you're not sure what to do with it or how to apply it. How do you teach this to children? Is this going to be the type of scripture you would have in, in Sunday school, for instance? I like to give my children a one-sentence summary of the different books of the Bible so that when they're reading the Bible themselves, they've got some idea as to uh, what that book's about so they can hold it together. What would we say to our children for the book of Chronicles and what we've just read here? If you're a new Christian, uh, why should you read this? If you're not a Christian, what's it got to say to you? Well, we can and we should seek to understand these genealogies because they are God's words and there are reasons and purposes for them. I want you to imagine now if there was a First Nations person instead of me here today, an Australian Aborigine, and he was a First Nations person from Tasmania, and he stood up and he recited his genealogy to you, going back one generation, another generation, going back hundreds of years. I doubt that we'd use that for comedy. We probably wouldn't use it for comedy, would we? Because we would know that there's a reason for this ge genealogy for this person, that it shows a special connection they have to the land it has a legal status which makes them different to other people with a financial implication to it. You see, there are reasons and purposes to the genealogies in the Bible. They show connections. They authenticate. They help you to understand a context. They show that something is historical. And if you know the names, they tell a story. And this is how the book of Chronicles begins and what it's famous for. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, chapters 1 to 9 of Chronicles, of First Chronicles. Now, I want to start by us thinking about how the Bible is arranged, how the different books are put together, because the Bible is not one book. It's a collection of many books from many prophets over about a 1,500-year period. Has the law of Moses, Psalms, all these different prophets, you know, 
all these different books in there. And what we find is that the Christian way of organising these books in Protestant churches puts the books of Chronicles after the book of Kings. And so when you, you read the book of Kings and then you go, oh, here's sort of the same thing again with Chronicles. And so we arrange them according to the chronology of the story. However, if you get a Jewish Bible uh, written in Hebrew, you will see that the book of Chronicles is actually the last book in the Old Testament for them. It's the last book in their Bible. Because the Jews do not arrange their books by only considering the chronology of the story. They also arrange the books as to when the book was written. And it's most likely that Chronicles, as we'll see in a moment, was the last book written before the coming of Jesus. Now you can see this in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 17, if you have your Bible there. Have a look at what it says here. Chapter 3, verse 17 says, The descendants of Jehoiachin, the captive. Just a little note there. It's normally just names, name, name, name. But then here it says, Jehoiachin, the captive. And that's because Jehoiachin was the king of Judah who was captured by King Nebuchadnezzar and taken away in what's called the, ba uh, the Babylonian exile. So you can see that this is his genealogy, but notice what happens in verse 19. Uh, it talks about the sons of Pediah, Zerubbabel and Shimei. Now we read about these people in the book of Zechariah. These are the kings who are of Judah who are after the return from exile. And then I just want you to scan your eyes down there. Look at how many generations there are. There's about six or seven generations. So this book, if we let it date itself, is showing us that it was written many, about six or seven generations after the return from exile. That is, this book is starting to poke at the New Testament. The book of Chronicles is most likely the last book written before Jesus and it's poking at the New Testament and it's the generation of the kings of Judah are going on for generation after generation after generation, seven generations. It's a long time. Now, what's the reason for this book? Well, as I've said, the nation of Israel has been under the judgment of God. They've turned, they turned away from God to idolatry and God's harsh judgment came upon them. They had what was called the exile, where they were taken out of the land that God had given them and they were sent to Babylon. But now they've come back from Babylon under God's mercy. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the wall. They've rebuilt the temple under Ezra. They rebuilt the wall under Nehemiah. But not much apart from that has happened. There is no son of David, no messianic king. And the people of Israel are now asking themselves, we've come back to God's land. We've come back as God's people. And not much is happening. It's been generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, after generation and not 
much is happening. What's next? Who are we as God's people? What are we meant to be doing? It's a situation that we may be feeling ourselves as Christians. But this was the question that they had and Chronicles answers this question for them by retelling their history from Adam all the way up to the return to, from, the, the, from exile. So I hope you can see that this is not just a repeat of the book of Kings. It's the last book and it's going to take them from the very beginning of the Bible, from Genesis, right up to the return from exile. It's not just a repeat of the book of Kings, though sometimes we may feel that way. It's spoken to God's people, the Jewish nation, and it's the, the last book that God speaks to them before the coming of Jesus. So what does it say? What does this book of Chronicles say? Well, come with me to Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1, and let's see the message that God gives his people as they are wondering who they are and what their purpose is. Verse 1, Adam. Now, when I say Adam... We can all pronounce that one fairly well, can't we? If you had to read that, you'd get that one right. When I say Adam, that takes you right back to the beginning. It takes you right back to the beginning of God's purpose in creation. And we see here that God made Adam, he made humanity, because Adam's name means humanity, it's used that way in the Old Testament, for, for blessing. God made us God made humanity for blessing. He made us in his image so that we would bring glory to God. We would have life that we would worship our Lord and God. That's uh, our purpose. That, that's, that was, that's humanity's purpose. That's your purpose. To glorify God, to live for God and to enjoy the blessings of God. That's why God made us. However, as we follow this genealogy you'll notice that it's a whole lot of names, individual names, but notice where it ends. Look in verse 13. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, and Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, and a lot of those names, they're familiar to us, aren't they? There are other names that you would know how to pronounce because they're the names of the nations that Israel goes into the land of Canaan. And we know about those nations, don't we? We know that they were given to child sacrifice, that they were given to gross immorality, that they were given to idolatry. And so what we see here is that these nations are not living according to how God has created humanity. We see in this list of names that there is one God over all these nations that from one man God made every nation of men that they would perhaps reach out and seek for him, as the Apostle Paul says in Acts 17. But when we look at these nations at the end of the list, we see that humanity has gone astray. This is what Israel needed to know. That in humanity, instead of living for the glory of God, instead of living under the blessing of God, Humanity is now gives itself over to idolatry and shame and sin and death. 
This is the state of the nations of the world around Israel. They're idolatrous, they're sinful, they're given over to death. Now we may have many problems in life and no doubt we all do have many problems. There's economic problems, there's wars, COVID, sickness, and these are all real problems. But Israel's being told here that the main problem in the world is sin. And that's what this first genealogy spells out for us. Now, into this world, into this world that is turned away from God, what do we see? Look at verse 28. <clears throat> the sons of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael. So here we go from the nations of the world to one particular man, to Abraham. Now why Abraham? Well, it's because God has chosen Abraham and God spoke to Abraham in this world. And in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, we read that God makes a promise to Abraham. God promises to Abraham that he will become a, a nations of, that nations will come from Abraham, that Abraham will have a promised land, and that Abraham will bring God's blessing to this world, to this world of sin and death, cut off from the blessing of God, somehow through Abraham, the blessing of God is going to come to this world. You see, that this is what this genealogy from Abraham now tells us, that God is going to be active in some way in the descendants of Abraham. And this is something that Israel needs to know as they wonder who they are. Now let's have a look at Abraham's descendants here. They're in three groups. First of all, there's the descendants of Ishmael in verses 29 to 31. Then there's the, the, the descendants of Keturah, who was Abraham's uh, concubine, who became his wife after Sarah died. And there's a whole lot of sons from Keturah. And then you get to verse 34, where it's Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Esau and Israel. And they're the three groups of nations and, and sons that Abraham has. Now, this shows us that God's promise to Abraham was fulfilled. He promised Abraham that there would be nations coming from him, and most of these become their own tribes. And so God's promise to, na to Abraham uh, of, of, of these nations and their lands gets fulfilled. But there's something else in these stories, isn't there? Because there's Ishmael and Isaac. Now, Ishmael was the firstborn, but God's promise goes to Isaac, the child of promise. God chooses Isaac over Ishmael. And then we have the next lot of sons, where there's Esau and Jacob. And Esau is the firstborn, but what does God do? God chooses the secondborn. And so what we're being shown in this genealogy is not just that through Abraham, God's going to bless the world, but we see God's sovereign choice, that God is choosing the nation that he wants and this is important for Israel because this is saying to Israel, you are God's chosen people. There are all the nations of the world which have gone astray, 
But God has worked through Abraham, and Abraham had many sons, as God promised. But out of those sons, God didn't choose Ishmael, he chose Isaac. He didn't choose Esau, he chose Jacob. And this is the nation of Israel. Israel is God's chosen people in this world. Let me read to you from Exodus 19, where we read about Israel's mission in the world as God's people, as God's nation. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 to 6. This is out Mount Sinai, and God says to the nation of Israel, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's interesting, isn't it, to speak about a, a nation as being a priestly nation. But I hope you can see why. Because in this world that has gone astray from God, where the nations of the world have, have turned away from God, God chooses this one nation, Israel, and they are going to be his priestly nation. God is going to speak and act to the world through, this, through the priest, through the nation of Israel. And we must realise the special place that Israel has. Now, I've printed out these verses here because it would take a little while for us to look at them and look, look them all up. So I'm just going to read these out quickly now so that you can hear the special place that the nation of Israel has. Psalm 147, verses 19 to 20. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws, praise the Lord. Isaiah 49 verse 3. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my glory. Amos chapter 3 verse 2. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Now let's go to the New Testament and Jesus with the woman at the well. Jesus says to her, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul writes, What advantage is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. Romans chapter 9, verses 4 to 5. The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption of sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ who is over all forever praised. Amen. A mistake that can be made is that all religions in the world are the same. You may have heard that type of thing, all religions, they're sort of the same. I'm not going to go into that today. But another mistake that can be made is that all nations are the same. And they're clearly not. The nation of Israel has a unique mission to the world amongst the nations of the world. 
Now, as we read in chapter 2 of, of Chronicles, we see the nation of Israel now. And again, this is part of the genealogy that's easier to read, isn't it? Simeon, Reuben, Gad, Issachar, Naphtali, Manasseh, Ephraim, and Asher. They're all the names that we're familiar with, the sons of Israel. And the genealogies, in this case, often link them to the land and show that they're back in a certain section of land. They're back where they belong as God's people. Now, special attention is given to the genealogies of Judah and to Levi. This is because Judah, as we'll see in coming weeks, is from where the Messianic kings of Israel come from. This is where the Messiah will come from. And so there's special attention given to this genealogy. Then there's special attention given to the Levites because it's from the Levites that the operation of the temple and the priest come from. And these are the two aspects which make Israel unique among the nations of the world in that they have God's king, God's son ruling over their nation and they have the priest who serves in the temple in which the nations of the world need to come if they want to know the true and living God. And so what we see here in these genealogies is not just that... Uh, What Chronicles is telling us is that the temple's been rebuilt under Ezra, the wall has been rebuilt under Nehemiah, but Chronicles is saying that the mission for Israel continues. The mission for the nation of Israel continues. Israel is back in the land where they belong and their mission continues as God's people. They may be waiting, they may be unimpressive, they may feel like they're failing, but their mission continues. Well, what I've tried to do there is to let you feel what these scriptures would be declaring to the Jews as they wait after the exile. I now want us to think about what these genealogies are saying to us who are not Jewish. What do they say to us? Well, they speak to us. In some ways, they, they speak the same way. For instance, when we read about Adam and the nations of the world, that takes us back to the beginning as well, doesn't it? Because God made you. You've been made by God. You've been made by God in his image. You've been made by God in his image for his blessing and to bring glory to God. But as we read that genealogy, well, that's actually our genealogy because we're the nations of the world that have gone astray. We're the nations of the world that don't know God. That's us. That's where we fit in here, isn't it? We're the pagan nations of the world given to idolatry. We're the nations that are banished from God's presence and given over to sin and death. Now, the next genealogy speaks to us and it says into this world of sin and death, God has acted in the man of Abraham. And if you want to know where God is active in this world, if you look around and say, I can't see what God is on about in this world, you need to look where God has acted in Abraham. And as we've seen, that comes to its focus in the nation of Israel. You see, God has acted in our world and to understand the world, you need to know the history of Israel. 
If you want to, un want to understand how God is acting in this world, you need to understand what God did in the nation of Israel because that's where God explains himself. Just think about what we do in church most Sundays when we have a Bible reading. We're reading about Israel, aren't we? You go from the Bible, I mean, basically, if you go from chapter 1 to 12, the first 12 chapters, that's about the world in general. But then from then on in, it's about Israel. Most of our, I assume that many of our names here are biblical names of those. It's interesting, isn't it? We have, we have a really high proportion of Jewish names among us here. Why? Because we, because we focus on this history in Israel. Because we know that when we look at that history, we see how God has acted in this world. In fact, I know more about ancient Israelite history than I do about my British history. Now, why do I do that? I still learn my British history, but the reason I spend a lot of time learning about the Israelite ancient history is that God has said that that's where he was particularly active and where he has explained himself to this world. Now, when Jews understand this, as they do, they can become arrogant and see themselves as superior to the nations of the world. And Jesus and John the Baptist and the apostles address this issue a lot, don't they, in the New Testament? Thinking that the nations are unclean and I can't touch them and all that. So there can be an arrogance among the Jewish people, which the scriptures rebuke. But there can also be a presumptuousness amongst the Gentiles, among those of us who aren't Jewish, that all nations are the same, when it's just not true. God did not speak to the world through the British nation. He did not speak to the world through the Dutch. He did not speak through the world through the Americans. He spoke to the world through the nation of Israel. Now these genealogies, they, they do something else for us, don't they? They lead us to Matthew chapter 1. Because there's an overlap between what we read in Chronicles and what we read in Matthew chapter 1. And it's interesting that we often think that, you know, genealogies, they're difficult and everything, but the New Testament, when it begins its proclamation of Jesus, begins with a nice long genealogy for us, which overlaps with what we've got here in Chronicles. And so the book of Chronicles actually leads us straight to Jesus. And when we read the gospel, what we actually see is that Jesus completes the mission for the nation of Israel. When you're reading the gospels, you are reading a declaration that Jesus completes the mission of the nation of Israel. And so Jesus has a miraculous birth in the way that Sarah, who could not give a child, has a miraculous birth to the nation of Israel. And then the nation of Israel goes into Egypt, where its life is threatened with the death of the sons, as Jesus has his life threatened and then goes into Egypt. And then Jesus comes out of Egypt, as Israel comes out of Egypt, and Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days, as Israel goes into the wilderness for 40 years. But where is Israel sinned in the desert 
Whereas they turned away from God, Jesus in the desert is successful. Jesus is obedient. And the Gospels declare that Jesus is the true and faithful Israelite. Jesus is the one who fulfills Israel's purpose. He is that true messianic king that they've been waiting for. He is the true priestly nation who through him, the nations of the world come to God. He is that true priestly nation who offers the perfect sacrifice for the sins of everyone. You see, we don't fix our eyes on the nation of Israel today. If we understand Chronicles properly, we fix our eyes on the fulfilment of what Chronicles was about. And that is Jesus, the true nation of Israel, the true Israelite. We fix our eyes on him. Because it's through Jesus and his death on the cross and his priestly role and him being the true messianic king, being all of what Israel was meant to be, the fulfilment of every promise that God has made, that God's blessing and life come to this world. It's Jesus who brings these. You see, we need to come to Christ. We are the nations of the world, dead in our sins, blind and following this, the, the, the foolishness of the world around us. We need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the one who brings us back to where we belong. He's the one who brings the nations back to where they belong. He's the one who pays for our sins so that we can come back to God, so that we can live for God our Father, so that we can give God the glory that he deserves. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. And as we come back to him, and I finish up with this, we join into his mission in bringing the world back to God. Let me just read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now... You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus Christ has saved us and joined us to him. We are now God's people in this world and we share in the mission of Christ to declare his praises to this world. Amen.